0: Amen, good morning everybody. How are you this morning? Well, I'm glad to have you. If you, open, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can open them to Luke chapter 11, verses one through 13. Luke chapter 11, verses one through 13. And uh, I, I, I want you to know that I, I'm glad that you're here. I, um, I'm encouraged by you, by our church family. Um, I love you guys a lot, some of you. Joking, and uh, I pray that you're coming in today near to God, in the Spirit of God. I pray that you're coming in here today, saturated already in His Word. I-, I pray that you're coming in here in a place of entrusting yourself to God. That you come in here like that, right? That's my that's my prayer. That you wouldn't come in here cold. You gotta prepare on Sunday nights, I mean, Saturday nights. You gotta stir your heart on Saturday nights. You gotta give some time in the word and in prayer on Saturday nights and early on Sunday morning before you come in here. If not, um, the first little bit, I'm just gonna be taking a, a stick and trying to get the mud softened, right? We need to, we need to come soft. Um, I I just think about it like a barometer, and and just everything that you do, think, say, or are a part of will move that barometer of spirituality, nearness to God, love for God, living in his spirit up or down. Anything you do is going to move that up or down. And so we got to be careful to constantly keep that up, nearness to God, in love with God. I don't want to go far from God. I want to be with God at all times. And so I, I pray especially on Saturday evenings um, and Sunday mornings that you're, you're careful about where that barometer is. And if you come in here like that, the Word of God is going to stir in your heart and you are going to be changed by it, right? That's what, that's what we hope to be true. And I love this part of the, of the service, our main part about, uh, of looking at the text. Um, I, I love the word and I hope that you do. I, I hope it's sweeter than any, anything else to you. That to just spend an hour looking at his word is, is more sweet to you than anything else in the entire world. Um, the, the Bible talks about itself that way, that it's satisfying in that way. As we just walk through it line by line, there's nothing that I delight to do more than this. Uh, before we go any further, I would like uh, for you to be stirred by a moment by our memory verse, and I'll put it up on the screen. If you're feeling brave and confident, uh, try to recite it without looking, with your, um, with your eyes down, okay? Um, if, if you are not feeling confident, it's okay, no judgment here, uh, you can just read it. Ready? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good job, TFC. Uh, today marks our last Sunday with this verse. And, uh, and the start of last week, if you'll, uh, if you'll notice, when I... I've been kind of coaching you maybe on what to see and what to, what to memorize, which part of it. Um, and, and you can do it however you want. Uh, but each month, as we put a new memory verse on, it would make sense to kind of just take it in chunks and let each of those chunks seep into yourselves, all the juices from the verse, to just seep in all month long until it's just changing you. Um, if you followed my suggestion Uh, This week, we focus on uh, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And just for a minute, it makes me think of one of your main goals as a Christian is to do this, is to encourage one another. That's one of your main goals as a believer in Christ. Who can I, who am I encouraging? Right? Who can I encourage? Um, Do you think that way? Right, and uh, in this context, not merely, "Hey, your hair looks nice today," although that's always nice to say to your friend. Um, This is an encouragement to encourage others to follow Christ. It's like telling you, "Hey, listen, as you live, as you go to church, as you're with your church family, encourage people with with follow Christ. Keep following Christ." right? Keep going. Keep going. It's good. This is good. Trust in what his word says. Trust in it. Live by it. Like, that's how you're encouraging people all the time, because that's what's best for people, right? And that's what you should be looking to do all of the time. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I love these absolute statements, because you wonder if God is mistaken. He's not, right? What is a what does it say? Let how much corrupting talk come out of your mouth? None, right? But only, there's another absolute word, right? Only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that's encouragement, building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Not grace like just I'm uh, permissive of sin, grace in which we give God's grace to people which is sometimes repentance, sometimes faith, but it's always the grace of God as people come back to him. And so you're encouraging people to do that. So this last portion and all the more as you see the day drawing near um, of Christ's return in him coming back to earth and all of this being done, as it's drawing near, we must keep in mind there will be no more time God is patiently, currently, patiently waiting, enduring for your repentance, for your faith, for your following of him, for that of your neighbor as well. And this life will pass. It will mean nothing. It will become harder to become a real and radical follower Of Christ and therefore all the more as you see the day approaching, your primary concern out of all of your other concerns in your entire life, there will be nothing else that matters. There will be nothing else that lasts except for following Christ, knowing him, making him known, being with him for all of eternity. And so just as you constantly notice the day drawing near, you should have little concern for anything else except for encouraging a brother and sister to follow Christ, right? And uh, thank you, God, for these verses. I I pray that you would just keep meditating upon them and that God would maybe even forever change your life through, through these particular verses. So as we move back into the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples now how to pray. Along the journey to Jerusalem, we're going to see the next two elements today as Jesus is giving his disciples not simply a prayer to repeat, remember, but he's exposing to them structure. Elements, categories, which he himself prays. He's making sense of, the, of what he's doing as they're watching him pray. When they say, Lord, teach us to pray, he's saying, let me make sense of this for you and teach this to you. Remember, after he's shown himself to be the Christ, on the way to Jerusalem is now his time of training of the disciples, and then he will complete his work uh, by, by going to the cross, dying, and, and resurrecting. Now, after he's, after he's shirt up, And shown, I am God's Christ. He is now training them. And within this training, there's so much going on. And one of the ways in which he's teaching them is they're watching him pray. And they're saying, teach us how to do this. Right? Teach us how to pray. And he himself is teaching these disciples how true disciples ought to pray. And after Jesus says this, he says, say, and he starts with father. Remember this? which is an essential element in your first category of prayer. So you must think of it this way. We know this because Luke chooses to only include Father in the statement. If you were here last week, Luke is the abbreviated version of Matthew's account, right? And so Matthew's more elaborate version includes a little bit more, which we included. But therefore, we can conclude from what Luke left in this statement that the essence of what he includes is, is the real essence of each aspect. So praying to God as your father is your first focus, right? Which if Matthew then supplements that, we talk about our father who is in heaven. So first, as we're learning to pray, Jesus teaches us first, we should pray to God as our father, as our father. And Matthew helps us to say that we should pray to our Father who is in in heaven. So as you're learning how to pray, as Jesus is teaching you how to pray, if you say, how do I pray? Well, first, you have to know this. You go to God as a Christian, addressing God as your Father who is in heaven. That Just bank that. Put it down, and, and we got that part, and we'll move on, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And, and again, because of what Luke includes, what Matthew does, and Luke is, Luke is including the essentials, we know that the main focus of that is Father. So go to God as your Father, okay? Done. And that way, we move on. And, and that portion of our Father who is in heaven should be like a seed that just blossoms, it's a heartfelt prayer. Remember, it's not just something you repeat mindlessly. It's, a, it's like a seed that just blossoms. I'm praying to God as my Father who is in heaven, right? Have you done that? Have you done that this past week? This past, you know, since we were here last, have you done that? Um, have you been praying to God as your Father? Has that informed you? Jesus is making sense of this for them. They're saying, Jesus, what are you doing, right? And so having this in mind that you should address God as your father it should help us to ask God as our father. It should cause us to view ourselves in Christ as his needy children. It should comfort us with his care and his ability to answer us. So when you pray, start with the element father and be informed by that, the fact that He is our collective father and that he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he is all-sovereign, because he is in heaven, right? And today we move into the next two elements, which is hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. I don't know if you could pick favorites, but these might be my favorites. So if you wanna learn how to pray, Jesus is telling you the next two aspects that you should move into in your structure of your prayers are hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. These don't have to be recited. They can be. They maybe should be. But more so, again, these should be the next seeds. Each one of them blossoming throughout your prayers. Categories that you should launch from. And these two items will also align your priorities. Jesus is not doing this for the sake of only aligning your priorities. But he is, to be sure, aligning your priorities as he's telling you what you should pray. This feels unnatural. You're like, well, what about when I want to pray for this? And I want to always ask him about this. And he's saying, let me tell you what's essential. Here's what's essential. Talk to God as your father. Then next, hallowed be your name. If everything else goes away, that's the prayer of a true disciple. right? And if everything else goes away, your kingdom come. That's the prayer of a true disciple. He's teaching us as true disciples how we should pray. These lines aren't all you should say, but really are the essential of what every prayer should be reduced down to, right? Meaning, in all of your praying, in all of your praying, in all of, of your praying, you are praying for God's name to be hallowed. In all of your praying, you are praying for his kingdom to come. And if you're not, then, then it's off. They are foundational. They are essential ingredients that should comprise all of your prayers. Jesus is giving us what is essential. like if all your prayers and petitions were in a box with a label on that box, the label would read, hallowed be your name. And if all of your prayers and petitions were in a box and there was a label on that box, the label on that box would be your kingdom come. Right? That's the prayer of a true disciple. That's what it looks like. So our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. These are the broad categories. Jesus doesn't have time to recount endless amount of things that his disciples should pray for. You should pray for everything. They should pray for their children, for their plans, for their neighbors, for their finances, and more. More specifically, you should pray for that one particular meeting, that one person's forgiveness, that one particular health scare. Even more specifically than that, you should pray for every word, every thought, every deed. Hey, pray for a parking spot when you get into the parking lot if you want to. That's okay, right? So long as it's hallowed be your name, your kingdom come right? That's the idea here. Jesus is giving us summaries, essentials, end results. And it's wonderful. You know, this passage is so perfectly constructed that it's almost taken the form of like a poetic expression in some, in some religions. But I think it's perfect, not simply because of that, but because in just a handful of lines, Jesus comprises every single category that you could and should ever pray for it teaches us what's essential the really the only things that matter we can let go of the importance of everything else we're tempted to make important in all of our prayers if they don't begin and end with him and his name being hallowed and his kingdom coming so um I want to give one suggestion to you before we read. Um, if you're a journaler, I, I'm sometimes I go back and forth. You can make like each, each of your title, the sections of your prayers as you journal your prayers, these sections. That would be a good and easy way to do that. But again, this is what we're teaching today. So what, can I, what, what, what do I want for you today? What does Luke want for you today? What does Jesus want for you today, more importantly? Well, he wants you to, very simply, ready? He wants you to pray to your Father, who is your Father of all who believe, who is in heaven. And he wants you to pray as your first priority. He wants you to pray as your first priority, as your first petition, that his name would be Hallowed. And that should be sweet to your soul to hear that. Okay, what does he want for me? Pray to him as my Father in heaven. Now, this week, pray that his name would be hallowed. Like that should be the sweetest thing to your soul to say, Oh, I want to pray that. I want my life to be about that. That should be so sweet to your soul. He wants you to pray that his kingdom would come and that it would keep coming. So those are the aspects that he wants you to add and that his sovereign will as king would be done as his subjects, trust in his wisdom and follow his reign and his rule upon the earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray and let's ask God to teach us. We're going to read and we're going to talk about these two seeds today. Father, we come and we take your instruction here. So our Father in heaven, even now, hallowed be your name. And God, even now, your kingdom come and your will be done here in this room as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 11. I got to turn there because Tanner's prayed so fast that he didn't give me time to turn my, my Bible. Just kidding, I don't even know if he's in here or not. All right, there he is. Luke chapter 11, starting in verses, uh, verse one all the way down to verse 13. We're going to just cover uh, the next aspect here. Let's read it all though. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Remember, here's the portion of the, of the motivation. This We're going to take all this in the last week. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut, now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up, get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet... Because of his impotence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son and his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's beautiful. Let's get right into it. Last week, we we saw prayer seed number one. It's on the screen. Our father in heaven. Today, we're going to see the next two seeds. Prayer seed number two today. First, hallowed be your name. Look at the text as or write it down and then look at the text with me. Father, hallowed be be your name. That's what we're focusing on here. Hallowed be your name. Now, what we must notice here first as we uncover this and it comes to life for us is that this is first a petition. This is first a this is a petition. When it starts with Father or our Father in heaven, he is telling us first of all how to address God as his children, which I explained earlier and last week. We are his children. How do we become his children? Who are his children? This is how we should think of him in prayer. And this is the correct way to pray to God for those who are in Christ Jesus, to him as your father. God, our father who is in heaven, Father. As the essential element. Now, this is simply the way of addressing, and primarily the way in this prayer, as Jesus is teaching us, He's teaching you how to address God. That's what He did in His prayer. So, again, this is this is a a wonderful picture from Christ, but this is primarily simply how we address Him. Okay, He's the source, you could say, of every good. Thing like an earthly father mirrors, he's the source of everything, spiritual and material, which is why our prayer must start with addressing him because he is the source. But now, Jesus moves into the first petition. Okay, the first petition, and essentially, all of these in this passage are petitions, they're all petitions. Essentially, we can we can confirm this because. When he gives us the motivation at the end of this section, right, when he teaches us the motivation for this prayer at the end of the section, his motivations revolve around asking, right, petitions. So he's encouraging us to pray by encouraging us what it looks like to ask and what we will receive when we ask. These are essentially all petitions. Now, for a long time, I read this part of the Lord's Prayer wrong, thinking it was proclamation, or declaration, or acclamation, but it's not, it's petition. This is a petition. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us that the first priority in praying is to ask our heavenly Father to cause his name to be hallowed. That's your first petition. That's your first request, the first priority to pray as you're praying to your Father. Who am I praying to? He's the source of all things. He is in heaven. He's our collective Father. The first thing I request is for His name to be hallowed in everything. That His name would be hallowed in us, in the church, in the world, everywhere. This is this is supplication. This is not an expression of praise. This first element, it's a petition. It's a petition. R.C. Sproul says this. We have a tendency to read these words and to conclude that they are part of the address, address, that they are simply an acknowledgement of an existing truth. Like Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, we believe we are saying our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Holy but that's not the format of the prayer. This line of the Lord's Prayer is not simply an assertion that God's name is holy, rather it's a petition. It's a petition. You know what a petition is, right? Because we have a lot of them in this world. It's usually something that's passed around, signed by many, right? And in order that the one who would eventually receive the petition, usually some form of government, who received the petition, would act upon something or change something, some policy maybe. A petition is simply a request. It's a request, and that's what this is. We should pray to God, our Father in heaven, and request from him as the foundation and summary of all of our other prayers that his name would be hallowed. And God is already inclined to do this, so prayer is not asking something of God that he's, that he's disinterested in doing right, or disinclined to do. He has every intention of doing this as his own first priority. His name would be hallowed. The people would see it, hear it, know it, enjoy it, receive it, and he would be glorified in it, right? That's his goal. So we should ask for it. What's best and most essential and satisfying for every person in the entire universe or for them to see God and who he is and that he would be set apart to them and they would receive him through Christ. There's nothing better for every soul on the planet. Therefore, the first priority petition is for his name to be hallowed and he receives much glory from that. Within all of our other praying, this is what matters. The mature think this way. Listen, the mature think this way. With love, the immature don't think this way. Think my request, my one particular thing that's going on every about my particular life, that is what is most important. God's the hallowing of God's name is second. That's immaturity. The mature think this way. God, within everything else, my only prayer is for your name to be hallowed. If I get anything, if I don't. If I win, if I lose. If I live, if I die. If it works out, if it doesn't. The mature think this way, right? And this should be our hope as the result of all of our prayers. And that is if our prayers are to be God-honoring and biblical. So God wills that we should pray for this. In all of our praying, cry out to God, pour your heart out. But this is the essence. John Piper writes, God wills to make great things the consequence of your prayers when your prayers are the consequences of his great purposes. Right? And your prayer being a consequence of what you know is his purpose. And he will make great things of your prayers. So let's pick this apart for just a moment. Hallowed be your name, right? This is the exact same. So it's complete in its context, when, content when we look at Matthew's account. It's the exact same. So we don't have to supplement here anything from Matthew's account. We can just take this one alone by by itself, which is nice. So hallowed means to be made holy, right? To be made holy. So this request is for God to cause his name to be regarded as holy. A request for God to cause his name to be made holy to people. That's your request. It's not that you're asking God to become holy or to be made holy because he isn't already holy, but that his name would be seen, regarded, recognized as holy by those on the earth. As his people are made holy. That's why, side note, when I say uh, the church is made up, uh, biblically the church, the picture of the church is made up of believers, right? That's what the church is, are the believers in Christ. A set apart people being equipped, conformed to his image through the scriptures. Ready? Because he makes us holy in Christ. That's what his church is. So the church is the group of the holy people being built up and equipped to follow Christ. That's what the church is. It's not primarily the non believer and everybody in the world who comes in. We are beckoning them to be a part of a holy people, right? This is how we must see the church. The church is not for specifically the non believer, although we want them to come, although we are glad that they come. But our hope is that you would become part of Christ if you are a non believer in this room, that you would become part of the holy people of God. Not that you would stay the way that you are. He sets us apart. He makes us, he builds us up. He equips us. He makes us a holy people. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the people who are on the face of the earth. Leviticus 20, 26. You shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the people that you should be mine. Or how about in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, and now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, In the world, to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. You're a set apart people. Holy means that God is different. We are made holy. God is holy already, set apart, perfect, cut from a different cloth, superior, different than anything else that we can find in the material or immaterial universe. He makes us holy. He is holy. Holy, 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 holy! Perfectly set apart. He's different. He's set apart. He's superior. He's different. It's the primary way. Listen, in which God that God differs from all of His creatures. He is uncreated. He's eternal. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's powerful. He's wise. And the list goes on. And his very being, within all of his other characteristics, he is holy. He's set apart. He's so marvelous, so majestic. He's so worthy of adoration of every single creature in the cosmos. Every creature, God, he, he's God. And this is the way in which we want everyone to see him. This is the prayer. This is the first petition. Psalm 113, four through five. The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high. 2 Samuel 2, two. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. I love this, Isaiah forty twenty five. To whom then will you compare me? Says the Holy One. I mean, literally ask yourself that question. Who are you going to compare him to? What are you going to compare him to? Him being compared to anything other than himself is less. The only thing he can be compared to is himself. That's why he says, I am who I am. He's holy. He's set apart. Jesus is teaching us that we should pray that God's name would be considered sacred, the treasure, holy, with unparalleled reverence, love, and worship by everybody on the planet. And not only in this passage does Jesus explain this, but Jesus explains this to his disciples, but also shows it in his praying. We obviously they obviously in this passage in in Luke 11 saw him doing this and he's making sense of it for them. He's showing them these elements, but also Jesus's example in other places demonstrates that this is how he prayed. John chapter 12 says this, Father, glorify your name. That's the same thing. That's the same prayer. Let everybody see how set apart you are. Oh, church, listen, that we would get this. This will be the most satisfying venture of your life. You will live free and happy if this is what you want of every day of your life for the rest of your life. You will live free and you will live happy because you won't be bogged down by all the the lesser things that just seem to cloud every part of you that is making you miserable and you don't even realize it. Take your eyes off the things of the world. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off of the identity that you want in this world and put your eyes upon hallowing God's name and, and begging God for it to be hallowed. You will live more joyful and free. You're holding on to things that are lesser. Listen, imagine the specific, just imagine for a second. I tell you to close your eyes, but I don't, I want you to see. Imagine the specific people around you in your life. Just imagine for a second. And what would it be like if God was made hallowed, set apart holy in their hearts and in their minds? What would it look like for them to live lives in awe and reverence of God? Just imagine. What would it look like for them to know who God truly is, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, and treat him with the constant adoration that he's worthy of? What would it look like for them to constantly stand in awe of him, meditate upon his wonders, spend time with him constantly, think of him unceasingly, live in reverence of him consistently, be satisfied in him continuously? What would it be like if the people you love, the people around you, day and night wanted nothing more than to meditate upon and know more deeply God's holiness, that it would be their delight not to meditate upon themselves or this world, but he would be the apple of their eye. What would that be like? That they wouldn't treat him as the world does, as a helper in the sky who comes in and out for their plans and ventures and was willing to help them when they want it, for their economic hope and popularity wishes. As ones who live sometimes in reverence of the Holy God, but can take Him or leave Him at other times. Ridiculous. He's the God of the universe. What would it be for people to really see Him like this? That He wouldn't just be relevant sometimes, but that He would be the center of their thoughts, their priorities to hallow God's name in such a way that they would love to retreat from the world and meditate upon his wonder. Complete, completely satisfied in his divinity. And they would wanna just contemplate it. Just wanna contemplate his divinity. I love that he's God. Right? Right? or be satisfied in the thought of him, want nothing more than to live every split second in union with him in fellowship with him in close proximity to him and his word and his spirit, constantly meditating upon the scriptures as a means of fully surrendering to his sovereign care and control. What would it be like for this church, for this community, for this state, for this country, for this world? What would it be like for you, church? You personally. What would it be like for you, To hallow God's name at every moment in your life. Oh, you want nothing more than to meditate upon how set apart he is. What would it be like for every day on the way to work? Every day on on your way to work, the the most satisfying prayer in your heart, the most satisfying prayer in your heart to be, with joy, right? In your heart, with a smile on your face, on your way to work, you say to God, oh God, nothing else matters. Everything else doesn't matter today except the greatest desire of my heart. Hallowed be your name today. What would that be like if that was your heart? This past week on my way to work, it uh, just so happens that there was a short uh, thing that I listened to it, and, uh, and, and it touched on this idea of praying God, hallowed be your name and what that means and, and how we can do that. And I just remember that whole day, we had a few things to do. We had some videos to do. We had, I had some meetings. I had some things with our staff. And I remember within all of those other things, because of what I heard, I just thought to myself, and it just carried me. Through that time. God, no matter what's said, what isn't, no matter what happens, what doesn't, just Hallowed be your name. I, I love that. I, that's all I want. It's what, it's what I care about most. Now, just briefly, what about the details of Jesus saying, Hallowed be your name? Emphasis on name. Well, in reference to his name, Um, The Jews, like for instance, the Jews would take God's name to such a level that they wouldn't even speak the name of God. They would find other ways to say things. His name was too holy to speak. Um, That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, That just illustrates his name, his holy name, the holy name of God. But the name is synonymous with him. That's the goal here. The name is synonymous with him, okay? That is, it's, That is, manifest. Jesus and who he is, God who he is, is manifest in his words and his acts and his character, and the name represents the character, the nature, the attributes, the personality of who he is. Those, look at this, Psalm 910, those who know your name put their trust in you. Not just like, oh, I know your name, so I'll trust you. The name is a representative of the character, Right? That's, what, that's what's going on here. What about Psalm 27? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, what? Trust in the name of the Lord, our God. We trust in who he is. Psalm, John seventeen six. This is what Jesus did while he was on earth. I manifested your name to people whom you gave me out of the world. He showed people what God is like. He manifested the character, the complete character uh, uh, nature and essence of God. Now, so this, when Jesus says this, this is not a title. It's a total. He's not saying God hallowed be your name. Just like only your name, but the totality of, of who you are. Although there are plenty of names in scripture that tell them, uh, tell us about God. Adonai, the Lord, Elohim, God, the creator, El Elyon, the Lord most high, Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our, our banner, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace, Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, our shepherd. And the list goes on. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is, uh, is present. Jehovah is constantly used and most manifestly though, he's known as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his name. The image of the invisible God and in him, all of the character of God is revealed. All those names sum up the name, who he truly is. You know this because in Exodus chapter three, remember Moses asked this, look at this. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to this people, the God of Israel, right? The Lord, uh, or to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. What can you call him that could summarize him? Nothing. Nothing. Right, He can only be compared to himself. He is, I am, I am what? I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the vine, I am the resurrection, and the list goes on. You could spend years thinking about who he is and never, and never uncover the riches of who God truly is. He is who he is as revealed in the scriptures. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 9, 6 for us. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so the name in antiquity, it's summarized far more than it does today. It's all the character. Our prayers concern more than the fact that God would just, people would just speak well of the name of God we should pray that they would show reverence for him. So we pray that God's name would be hallowed. The first request, as we pray to our Father in heaven, that people would fully know him and submit to him and love him and look forward to him and treasure him. R.C. Sproul says this again. Um, very few people today would list hallowing of the name of God as their top priority for their supplications. It almost seems foreign to our environment to place so much emphasis on the proper treatment of a name Those petitions may be distinguished from one another, all of them in Luke 11, but they are so interconnected that we dare not divorce them from one another. I'm convinced that although we pray for the manifestation of the victory of his kingdom, which we'll talk about in just a moment briefly, it's futile for the victory of God's kingdom on this planet until or unless God's name is regarded as sacred because God's kingdom does not come to people who have no respect for him. Likewise, we pray that his will will be done. But God's will is not done by people who do not regard him with reverence and with adoration. So the very beginning of godliness, the very beginning of transformation in our lives and society begins with our posture before the character or name of God. This is where everything, everything starts, right? And I want to mention one other thing. Think about how consistent this is, this one prayer. All of them are, but just take this one. Think about how consistent this is with what Jesus has been teaching his disciples from the very beginning when he started their training. The start of their journey to Jerusalem. Think about how consistent this is. True disciples must do something initially. What is it? Luke 9, 23. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what does prayer manifest? Prayer manifests coming to the end of yourself. It manifests the fact that you need God. You take up your cross. You want his way, specifically in your prayers. This is what a true disciple looks like. You must must take up your cross daily, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. That means you are not the center of your prayers. God's name to be hallowed is. This is consistent with what it means to be a true disciple, that you pray like this right? So nothing has changed. Nothing has changed from Jesus's initial instructions about true discipleship. He's just teaching them now more specifically how to pray. So I wish for you to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to do. God as your father who is in heaven, primarily that his name would be hallowed. Number two, in about 10 minutes. Ready? We got about 10 minutes for just... um, Prayer seed number three. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Persevere, church, persevere. Almost done. Verse two. Your kingdom come. The next thing Jesus teaches his disciples is to pray. And what he teaches them to pray is your kingdom come. If you supplement Matthew's account from Jesus' earlier, earlier instructions. Uh, he adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? And you must say, hey, look, you might say, that sounds like two distinct petitions, right? Uh, that would, we, maybe we should take these separately. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we certainly could, and you could do that for all of this. You could divide up every word, right? But... You you could do this, but the reason why I include these together, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because I think it implies here that you should maybe, and I want to imply, that you should keep them in the same thought as you pray this category. Because... Essentially, again, as I taught you, Luke is the abbreviated version, giving the foundational essential elements of prayer. And Luke includes only in this portion, your kingdom come. Meaning, I think your will be done on earth as it is in heaven informs this. It's not separate. It informs it. And in addition to that, as we drill deep into the meaning of your kingdom come, As we drill deep into it, they are inseparably connected in their meaning. And therefore, to pray your kingdom come is to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But at the very least, we keep them both in mind. I think they inform each other. Now, we should pay attention into the order here. Notice, pray to your father. First primary prayer, hallowed be your name. And then we are praying, I want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is your next petition. No matter what you're saying, this should be what you're saying. So what is Jesus saying here? The kingdom of God simply is God's reign and God's rule. That's what that means. When there's a kingdom, what is there usually? Usually. A king. And to pray your kingdom come is to pray his reign and his rule comes into our lives and upon the earth. That's what you're praying. Let your kingdom advance. Kingdom puts God in the position of king. And we're going to get more specific, but that's the essential element. Kingdom puts God in the position of king. He's not only your father. He is also the sovereign king. Right? He is not only the source as our father, he is not only sacred as holy, but he is also sovereign as, as king. Psalm 47, six says, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our who? King, sing praises for God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a Psalm. Revelation nineteen six. on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What is it? King of kings. You got some kings? I'm the king of all those kings. You got some lords, I'm the Lord of all those lords. He is the king. To say he is king is to say he is sovereign. He rules, he reigns, he's in control. All should be subject to him. And that would be their good. As the Old Testament, we see like feeble images of God's sovereign reign. Uh, I'm sorry, of king's sovereign reign, and we see the, 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 the greatest thing about the Old Testament is God's sovereign reign. The kings were just, just small pictures, short pictures, but none can compare to having God as their king. Listen, what does that mean? Listen, he sets the laws. He governs the people. He executes justice. He protects against foreign armies and enemies. He has all the power. This is, this is what we, to do his will. As you imagine a king would come, imagine a new king would come and execute his will in the kingdom because he knows best and all would come under his reign and his rule. To pray, pray that his kingdom comes is for the, the bringing of the kingdom that Jesus was teaching constantly of, right? God's way, God's rule, God's reign. This is what he was bringing to the earth. He said it, like this, maybe, for instance, he said, of the king, he said oftentimes different things about the kingdom. One of the things is he's like, the kingdom of heaven is like, he was describing us. For instance, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. That's what it's like, God's reign and God's rule to have Christ. It's like a treasure, the greatest treasure, hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything to buy that field because he wants that treasure of being in God's kingdom. Or he described how to enter into the kingdom, Right? Matthew uh, 18, three through four. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, he spoke of his kingdom coming once and for all at the end of time, where it will be established permanently at the consummation of all things. So all of this is what we should pray for, okay? But most specifically, as we, head, as we head to the end of this thing, most specifically, all of that is true of the kingdom. But most specifically, now in these last days, since Christ, the kingdom comes through the gospel. That's how the kingdom comes. So listen, what are you praying when you're praying your kingdom come? You're praying, let the gospel come be received, let the gospel go forth. That's how how the kingdom comes. If his kingdom, listen closely, if you don't get anything in the second point, get this, listen, if his kingdom can be summarized in his reign and his rule, that's what it means to be part of his kingdom, then people receive God as their great king, come under his reign and his rule, realize their ways, realize the punishment of their sin and come under the reign and rule of God only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that happens. And they repent of their sins, place their faith in Christ, receive the all-satisfying treasure of God reigning and ruling in their hearts from now into eternity. You have entered into the kingdom of God if you have trusted in Christ. You're part of his kingdom. You're not there yet. You're still living as exiles on this war, on this earth. Don't settle in here. It Makes no sense to get comfortable. Live on the edge because you're not going to stay here. It doesn't make sense to to build a home and to and to just sit here forever, figuratively speaking. Right? This is not. It doesn't make any sense. Therefore, as God set it up, as revealed in the New Testament, God's kingdom advances through receiving the gospel. That's the only entrance into the kingdom. The Bible speaks of this enormous privilege of having God as your sovereign king, reigning and ruling in your heart. That's a privilege. I get to come under his reign and his rule because it's only made possible through the forgiveness that's offered in the gospel. That's a privilege. So we see him, we're set apart, we're his, we repent. We trust in him. We submit to his sovereign decrees and then his kingdom advances. Listen, this is how the kingdom advances. You say, how can we establish God's kingdom here on earth and things go his way? Can I tell you this? Listen, it's not gonna happen through social reform. It happens through individuals receiving the gospel. I know that's slow. I know that it's not what you wanna hear it happens through individuals receiving the gospel one by one by one that's how his kingdom advances then you have more people under the sovereign reign and rule of god there that's why we are called to share it 2nd Corinthians 5:20 what are we called therefore we are what ambassadors that's for a king god making his appeal through us so that is we share the gospel he reigns and rules in more and more hearts they receive him his kingdom is established through his holy people on the earth and they seek to advance his kingdom in more and more hearts and establish all of his good ways here upon the earth as they're guided by his decrees. Anytime you see the kingdom of heaven in scripture, it means his reign, his rule. That's the main agenda of God. Listen, that's the main agenda of God for you to advance his kingdom, right? Don't live for your own kingdom. I want more and more people to come under my reign and my rule. I want more and more people to think highly of me and hallowed my name. No, you don't. You will crumble under that weight of of trying to be God. You want more and more people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore coming under his reign and his rule. That's how the kingdom of God advances. It's slow, but it's steady. And he's in control and it's real and it's robust. And then his kingdom advances here on the earth. So this is, this is what he's calling us us to do. And um, notice as we close, there's no personal requests yet for your own self. There will be, that's Okay. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 6, to do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. You should desperately pray for the kingdom to come. And listen, this is not, this is not a heartless request. Look at what Jesus did when he entered into Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41. When, the, when he drew near, he saw the city. What was his response to the people in Jerusalem? He wept. To pray for his kingdom to advance is to pray that those who are in the dominion of darkness would would be forgiven of their sins, their eyes would be opened, and that they would come into his kingdom. This is not not, uh, separated from your heart of love for people. You should pray for his kingdom to come. Why? Because if not, everyone around you is gonna perish. You want people to receive the gospel and to be saved. You should weep over your neighbor. You should weep over your co-worker. That they will will stay in the kingdom of darkness forever unless they do that. Paul was so desperate for the salvation of people. He said this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Not that that's possible. So, that's our prayer. He says, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just for a second. What is heaven like? Well, one of those things is his perfect reign and rule. When all love him, worship him, there's no sin. There's no desire to, to be sovereign yourself. Everything is good according to his ways. Angels and saints adore him. Everything is under his care and his sovereign rule and everyone is in satisfying worship to him as they live. So we pray that it would be here. That's the ultimate solution for racism. It's not social reform. It's individuals being transformed by the gospel to have the reign and rule in individual lives. And then they are transformed by his word and start to live according to it. And love comes out, seeps out. That's a solution for hate, for abortion, for murder, for adultery, for addiction, for pornography, for bad parenting, for bad marriages, for idolatry, for every sort of evil is that God would transform hearts by coming to reign and rule in individual hearts and that would spread through the gospel, the kingdom would advance and everything would function under his reign and his rule and his sovereignty according to his word. And of course, this won't be perfectly realized until... He comes again and establish it permanently. But we should pray for this. So church, this week, pray to your father who is in heaven. Pray for his name to be hallowed and pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on this earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great word. I pray that we would have eyes to see, hearts to hear, And that we would follow your your lead here as you teach us to pray. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.